Hi everyone, it's Toya Nomura, and you're listening to LunaStream. Our shared goal for this podcast is to create a public forum for second generation to discuss their opinions, form stimulating conversations about our movement, and to bring the ideas of the young people to the forefront of the wider conversation. On this week's podcast, Jusun, Tor, and I will be joined by our special guest today, Nancy Jubb. She's the communications director at headquarters, and we'll be speaking to her about what her job is like. I'm challenging people's existing perceptions of who we are. I think if what are headquarters plans? Yeah, so doing these projects, it's not only to kind of advance our movement, so to say, but it's a real way for people to practice their faith. And how she manages crises. Is, has there ever been something that you've been asked to make disappear or cover up? Once again, you'll be hearing some ajus sprinkled throughout the conversation in an attempt to censor the profanity. It sounds something like this. Aju! So if you hear some random ajus throughout the conversation, now you know why. And without further ado, on to the programming. Hello, everyone. You're listening to LunaStream. I'm your host, Toya Nomura. And I'm joined by my co-hosts today, Tora Oda and Justin Darty. Hey, Tora, what's up? Hey, my name is Tora, 24, live in Las Vegas, and a youth pastor here. And I'm ready to talk. And how you doing, Justin? Hey, everybody. My name is Justin Darty, 26 years old. I'm located in Bridgeport, Connecticut. I'm currently the young adult minister here, and uh, I've been blessed for about five years, and I'm happy to be here. Thanks, Justin. And we have a very special guest with us today. Her name is Nancy Jubb. Um, hi, Nancy. Hi. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we would love to have you. And for everyone in the audience who doesn't know who you are, you are a communications relation. <laughs> you work with basically public relations for our church, right? Yes. At headquarters. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. I'm officially the communications director for Family Fed USA. I handle public relations, crisis communications, a little bit of marketing, some publicity. Wow. And um, how do you like your job so far? I love it. It's super challenging, but that's great because I learn a lot while I'm on the job. What's your favorite thing about your job? I think my favorite thing about the job is that I get to change the image of our movement to something that I feel is more accurate. Mm -hmm. And I'm challenging people's existing perceptions of who we are. I think if you talk Mm -hmm. to a lot of older people, they think that we're still living in communes, selling toys at the airport, you know, all these kind of weird concepts of things that we had tried out in like (laughs) the seventies and the Mm eighties. And that's not how we are now. You know, we're pretty normal. Yeah. We, We fundraise on Amazon now. (laughs) <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So, Justin, what's, uh, what's, the f- what's the first topic? Something something I've noticed in our church that I wonder if you have an inside scoop on is that there, there's a lot of what appears to be like turnover when it comes to the, like the staff of the church, like the people who work for headquarters or just kind of like shuffling around. People get shuffled around a lot and it, it seems often confusing because it's like, ah, oh, we're just getting the flow of things. And then this person is plucked out of this community and plopped into another or they're let go and someone else is hired who potentially better or maybe has no idea what they're doing. Do you mean like leadership or do you mean staff? Because I think there's a... A, d- a distinction there. Yeah, I, I think just in general, like leadership, for sure, uh, there's it, there's definitely a lot of turnover with the leadership. For example, I don't know, off the top of my head, Damien Dunkley being replaced with Dr. Young, and then like a week later being replaced with President Naokimi. So it's like, wow, that was fast. And then it's like, did I mishear that Dr. Young became president or was that a miscommunication? Like what, what happened there? You know, our movement has a living Messiah 
And that's always going to be really challenging. You can't always know exactly what the will of God is. And so when it comes to leadership specifically, I would say that shuffling around comes with the spirit and there has to be a certain level of faith involved in really understanding what's happening and trust too. I mean, faith is ultimately trust, right? And, you know, just from my observation, so like when I first joined headquarters, Dr. Balcom was the president. And then I think a year or a year and a half into it, he was then moved to Europe and then it was Reverend Busing, right? And then a year after Reverend Busing, then it was Damien Dunkley, who interestingly, Damien actually hired me. (laughs) So it was really interesting to watch that all from the inside. But I would say that each leader brings something unique to the table. And it's not so much trying to understand, like, what is the person who's moving these people around doing, but really looking more towards what is it that that leader brings to the table that we need right now in our movement, you know? So like, just as an example, Dr. Balcom, he's very kind of in his leadership style. I'd say he's a little more alpha male type, you know? All right, everybody, we're going to do this. Everybody, let's, let's, you know, really gather together. Okay, we're going to do this tour of all of the holy grounds in America. We're going to like really rally together, right? And I think at the time in our movement, we really needed that, especially in America after the whole fiasco that happened just before that right? With love and life and the whole implosion, right? And people were like, what is going on? And what are we doing? And so they kind of needed somebody to just stand up and be like, okay, let's rally, let's rally together and do something. And then right after that, on the back of that, you know, mobilizing is tiring, right? It's exhausting. You're kind of like, okay, another one. Oh, man. And right off of the back of that comes in Reverend Busing. And Reverend Busing is he's a softer kind of personality. I was joking with my dad. And I was like, well, Reverend Busing and Marjorie Busing are like George Bush Sr. and his wife. Everybody thinks they're kind of soft-spoken and like really soft, but there is a strength to them that they kind of felt like the nation's grandparents, you know, they're kind of like your grandma and your grandpa. And they they come in with a very caring spirit. They want to know how you're doing personally. They want to like spend time with each and every person and really care for them, you know, and then right off of the back of that, then you come, you have Damien who comes in that, you know, my observation of Damien is a whole story in and of itself. But I think that when they bring new leadership in, we're still working out how best to announce things. There's still a process of education that taking place with the leadership also in terms of educating them on public relations and perception and how to do things in a more professional manner. So when Dr. Young came in, it wasn't actually that he was the president He's actually the continental director. And then now Kimi was brought up to fill in that president's position. Yeah, I know. I know that for most part, the church has always been this way of solid ground is questionable because true father and now true mother were always spontaneous and uh, spirit led leaders. It leads perfectly into my next question. Is the church a real career, right? Or is it just a service that you do and you just hope works out? Because if you depend on the church as like your job, and then you get shuffled to janitor. 
<laughs> and you suddenly you're not making enough money to support your family, can you really rely on the church as a career because of the instability? You know, I think that's a really personal question for each and every person. I mean, for myself personally, I am very fortunate that I don't rely on this job for the money. I do it because I care about how our members are treated, how they're perceived. My parents have stories of being spit on and like beaten the crap out of because of their faith. And I think some people, they're afraid. They just don't know. And and so it's been a passion of mine to really explain who true parents are in a way that people can understand that we don't have to like explain the whole DP to somebody on the street all the time that they can kind of get what the values we stand for are. So I'm, I mean, for me personally, I'm very lucky. My husband, he worked at an investment bank. I do this job because it's a passion for me. I care about it. Although, you know, I, I have definitely had friends that ask me, why in God's name would you work for the church? And I think that's also, yeah, you know, I, I totally understand where they're coming from. And for me, it's also a huge opportunity because let's be real. Could I actually tank our reputation any further? <laughs> but, you know, if mm. I do, if I do manage to change the perception to, to help people understand who we are just a little bit more, I mean, after that, I could have pretty much any PR job I wanted, right? So mm -hmm. it is a career opportunity. I, but in my head, I definitely keep it real. And I know that anything could happen at any moment. And I might be asked to walk away from the position or I might be fired or I'm not looking to this job for stability and for security. That's not why I do it. That's, and I think that it's kind of a mistake if you're looking to the church for that. Yeah, I, I, mm -hmm. I had a similar experience. I remember when Damien first became president, I was at a Yeah Yeah workshop and I walked up to him and I asked him, I was like, hey, I really want to work for the church. Like, I really want my life to be centered on serving the church and the community. But also, I can't dedicate my life to the church and not have a, a form of income because I'm married and I have responsibilities and things got to get done at, by a certain time. And we talked for a long time. And then he asked me, are you willing to move? You're willing to just uproot your life and go anywhere? And I think I took way too long to answer the question. <laughs> it was just kind of like, yeah, well, you know, we need people who, in no, no certain terms did he say that, but it definitely felt communicated like, well, until you're willing to move, you're not willing to serve the church full time. And at the moment when it happened, I was like, oh, that's really, I don't know, like, I feel like that's kind of profound and whatever. But then looking at other religious communities, there are people who've held positions for 30 years and lived in the same place the whole time. So I just feel like, yeah, it, it's inspiring on one level, but it, I feel like it doesn't have to be this way. That's true, but you got to have some perspective. Most other religions have at least 100 years on us, <laughs> at least. Yeah, and that's, that's like true. the more thousand. Yeah, you know. <laughs> Christians. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. So they've had time to kind of move out of that kind of pioneer era, you know, where they're figuring things out and they're just getting things kicked off into, you know, what we always say, the settlement era, where you kind of put down roots and you start building things for long term. We're not quite there yet. And also just another interesting point. So really interestingly, and I think now Kimi doesn't really do a good 
good enough job of promoting this about himself. But there's the internal aspect of doing the work for the church. And then there's the external realities of like supporting your family, right? And that's something that he's always known about. And he's talked a lot about, um, if you ever get a chance to talk to him personally, it's something that he's talked a lot about. And so he actually developed a side hustle that supports him financially and doubles his income. And it covers for what working for the church doesn't. And, you know, he does so well for himself that he owns a Tesla. So, um, yeah, I think people people who want to work for the church, you love God and you love people and you do it for those reasons. And you kind of figure out other ways to support yourself. And I don't think it's healthy when your whole life is kind of completely dependent. I think that there needs to be a balance. Mm -hmm. For me, my life of faith has always been about balance, internal and external. Right. But then, then it leads to the point where like you, but then you're only high, you're only attracting people who really want to be here. Right. And they might not be the most qualified or whatever. So like, if you want the most qualified people to be working at headquarters because they're super talented and, and you know, you want to expand the church or whatever and do good things. Right. And, you know, grow the movement, then shouldn't we be hiring most, the most qualified people? And so what would their incentive oh, be if it's always like this? Yeah, absolutely. We should definitely hire people who are qualified. But so I worked for five years at the U.S. Department of State. I worked at the U.S. Embassy in London. And there's an interesting distinction in hiring process. There's locally employed staff or LES who are people that they just hire from whatever country the embassy is based in. And then you have the diplomatic staff, which are dispatched from the United States to come over. And the local staff, you hire them for their skill set, right? but you hire them to execute the job. And the diplomatic staff ultimately are responsible for strategy, for figuring out the best way of doing things, for um, how to advance the purposes of the mission. And so I kind of see it the same way. The people who are in those leadership positions, the ones that have the vision and the idea of where we want to be like moving forward as a movement, those are the people who really should be figuring out on, you know, the broader level. And then you hire the best possible people to execute that. Even in Korea, IPS TV, they have a lot of staff who are not church members. Um, they, right, right. You know, I understand. I, don't, I understand what yeah. you're saying, but it doesn't yeah. I feel like you're saying one thing, but you're not, we're not doing the one or the other thing. Right. And I'm, what I'm trying to say is, are we, are there plans to do that in the church for like, you know, because a lot of people do love the movement and a lot of people do want to pursue something. Right. But then there's oftentimes not enough incentive. Right. And not everyone can afford to do a side hustle or, you know, people are one track minded and they were like, I really want to work for headquarters. Right. I, I, and I like, so what, what do you think headquarters could do to make it more attractive or lucrative or, you know, incentive based to, um, yeah. And offer their talent. So I do think that as a movement, we do have to move out of this kind of volunteer work and just focused on ourselves kind of mm-hmm. mentality. And we really have to do better at actually serving the world, like actually making a difference in our communities. And I think that when we start to make a bigger impact in communities and in the world, that's when you start to attract the attention of other people, you get more support, you work with, you partner with other organizations, and then money comes. You know, the three great blessings are to be fruitful, multiply, and have dominion. And, you know, True Father's words have always said that if you master 
the first blessing, you master the second blessing, then the third blessing will come, you know, money will follow you where you go if you live that principled life. I think we're still figuring it out, but we are definitely working on how to increase revenue streams and so that we're not dependent on donations from businesses, donations from members, you know, it, there has to be additional support. People need to look at us and say, wow, what you do is really valuable. What you guys believe, I can really learn something. And so instead of us being insecure and like, here, I'm going to teach you DP and everything and give away all the secrets for free, then suddenly we become like Tony Robbins and we're charging like $3,000 to get the diamond class seats in the stadium right, for the education. Right. I just want to acknowledge that for me, our family, my both of my parents worked for headquarters for most of my, my life. I remember at some point during Ingenim's reign of uh, glory or terror, depending on how you see it, uh, my dad was let go from his like 20 year position or something like that. And suddenly you know, we're left, my parents are close to retirement age with no real source of income and no real skills because they dedicated their entire life to supporting the church since they were really young. And then it's just like, oh, well, now the providence is moving on to a new direction. And it was really exciting for the church because it was like, oh, we're getting rid of all the old leaders and we're getting new ma- new young blood. And it's like, yeah, I totally agree with that. So that's the correct direction to go. I don't necessarily think my father's leadership was the direct, the best way to go for the rest of you know his life. You know, let's just keep him in that position because of his service. But there definitely wasn't a professional respect. And the, the, the well, I don't know what I'm kind of excuse, but the explanation we got was, well, you know, the church only has so much money and we do want to compensate the new people who are serving and da 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 and it's like it makes sense on paper but then you know you got to think uh true mother lives in a palace guys and uh it ain't cheap to live in a palace like it's not just the electric bill alone it's there is money and it's going somewhere it's hard because it's like there's all these these things where you say oh well, the church we can't afford this we can't afford that like everyone please donate and stuff and then it's like well where is the money really heading or how is it really being distributed? Because it seems somehow a little confusing. It's like Chengpeng's constantly getting updates and getting bigger. And it's like turning into a micro city, mm-hmm. um, which is great, you know, because you can go there and you can see and it's going to be a monument, a museum to our faith and all of that I support. But it's hard to see that and then also go, oh, but we can't afford to support our members on the local level because there just isn't enough money. Money management is, is different, though, because there's there's uh, international headquarters, there's local, I mean, uh, country headquarters and stuff like that. So not I'm not trying to I'm not trying to defend what we do, but I'm saying they, they, there's it's, it's a lot more complex than you think. And we can't just blame a single source. And there's an internal component to that, too. Do you really believe that true parents are the messiah? Right. And what does that mean? And then what does that mean for how we should treat them? And I'm not trying to justify necessarily all of those decisions because I don't know the reasons behind those decisions entirely. A lot of that happens, like Toya was saying, in Korea, in America, we do not (laughs) have much input on that. But I think Mm. there are any number of things that are going to challenge you in your life of faith, right? Yeah, I don't know. I wish I had a better answer for you, Justin. Yeah. I... Yeah. I mean, I don't think it's necessarily just the churches, the church, the church organization. It's a responsibility to take care of all of the people, though. I I think that we all collectively have some kind of responsibility to take care of each other, just like I feel responsible to take care of 
my parents too, that, you know, my husband and I are always talking about like, what are we going to do when they retire? Who's going to take care of them? What happens if they become ill? How are we going to look after them? Yeah. And Mm -hmm. and maybe that's why he feels really motivated to earn money to do all of those things. But yeah. So switching topics and whatnot. And it's unfortunate that our church operates in this way, but what is, what is headquarters plan right now? What are they doing? And um, more importantly, like what's, what's now Kimi's like executive plans? The direction right now is really focused on building these like online holy communities, because I think the way that the world has shifted is not going to go away anytime soon, right? Um, Going virtual, Zoom has opened up, it's brought down the barriers of geography. And so there's this focus for like online holy communities and, you know, building up that way. There's also um, a big effort to package divine principle in a way that it's like an educational program that can help you have insight into your life so that you could like take it online, you know. And figuring out marketing around that, like bite-sized clips that people find value in that help them to become better people, better individuals, find meaning in my life, you know, be a better spouse, be a better parent, uh, and really focusing more on actually making a difference in people's lives. Yeah. And then internally, I'd say externally, we're looking at really Mm -hmm. trying to build relationships, build real relationships with the churches that we reach out to and, you know, keep up that relationship and uh, work together on things, not just kind of try to do things by ourselves all the time. But like, what does that mean practically? Like, what what are the goals, like substantial goals, let's say, that headquarters is trying to focus on? There are seven goals with a bunch of numbers that I don't remember off the top of my head. That's okay. I think it's something like in the next seven years to have 1,000 online holy communities. So it's kind of like small groups, small churches, so that if, like for me personally, my passion is marriage and relationships. I love like all of these books and, you know, on how to improve marriages and things like that. So, you know, it would be just as an example, like, okay, well, I'm passionate about marriage and improving marriage. And I see how divine principle really helps me have a better marriage, a better relationship with my husband and building a community around that, like online, and then connecting it to the wider movement. And anything else? Like Definitely besides- more more strategic service projects also. So just as an example, like uh, we've been really trying to support the mayor of Newark. Ever since we did the rally at Prudential Center there, we want to you know, build real relationships with them, not just kind of roll in with this big event and then roll out and be like, peace out guys, like, you know, never hear from us again. No, we wanna continue to serve that community. Like they were so inspired to see so many active youth. That's a really unique point actually about our movement is that we have a very engaged youth demographic that a lot of churches don't see. Their their numbers are on the decline. And so for us to come in and say, oh, okay, you need volunteers for your turkey giveaway for people who are in need. Okay, we can easily get like 20 people at least or you know, how many people okay. do you need? I don't know. It just feels really out of touch with the larger community as a whole or like our, our movement as a whole in a way, because it's not everything like every so often, you know, once we get a leader change, everything changes again. So it's like, everyone's always confused. And I feel like, is that really worth focusing on? Is it in reach a lot more important? Isn't like nurturing second gen much more important than, you know, doing this outreach and this kind of like show, for example? Well, I think it's a misunderstanding to see that outreach is just outreach alone because doing service projects actually 
helps our young people to practice their faith, to engage mm -hmm. with people outside of our movement. We have this really bad habit where we like, we get comfortable with only people in the church. So we only want to chill mm -hmm. with people in the church or we hang out with people in the church or only people in the church are going to understand me. And I think that that's a mistake. Like if you really want to grow, you really want to understand, you need more experiences with other people. You need experiences with people outside of the movement in order to understand your own faith better, in order to understand yourself. And yeah, so yeah, yeah. doing, yeah. So doing these projects, it's not only to kind of advance our movement, so to say, but it's a real way for people to practice their faith. Right. And I can understand that aspect, but I mean, more importantly, like why are there no, like for example, Crane's Club, right? Crane's Club had a really great purpose. I think they still do. They're trying to connect the professional second gen community and, you know, keep them in the loop. And so that you can use them as like references, contacts and try to do greater things. Right. But I feel like they just dropped the ball because it's, it's just something that, you know, people wanted to do and they put the nice teas out and it's just like, that's it, you know, and there's no follow through. So I feel like how can you create programs like this, but then not follow through. So I feel like there's a, a huge lack of like interest in this area where, you know, we're trying to develop the, the professionalism of our, of us, right. You know, ages uh, 18 or 25, and I, th I think there's just such a lack of support in that area. And I feel like why doesn't headquarters focus on, you know, developing of, of youth when True Mother wants to do the same thing? And I feel like it's just such a mismatch of ideologies. Okay. Yes. I can totally see where you're coming from on that point. But I think that a lack of activity on the outside does not mean that there's not investment going on behind the scenes because coincidentally, mm -hmm. yeah. I serve on the board for Cranes Club. <laughs> Right. Okay. So we meet regularly and we really try to do things. And I think that this is characteristic of our whole movement is that mm -hmm. when you get a group of idealistic people, like really, like really optimistic, idealistic people, you get a bunch of people who have a bad habit of saying yes to everything. Oh, yeah, and they're sure. like, oh my God, I love okay. that idea. I want to help out with that. Oh my God. Yes. Yes. ACLC. Oh, oh yeah. I can help. I can do that. You know? And we all feel very capable in our own ways. Right. And we want, we like sure. want so hard for things to be successful. So we're like, okay, I'm going to throw my hat in the ring. And what happens then is that you overtax yourself, jack of all trades, expert burnout. at none. Yes. And burnout happens. And then, so for me, I'm a huge Brene Brown fan. I don't know if you guys have ever read her books, but like Daring Greatly, mm -hmm. I love her, her work. And okay. she talks about the way that people become resilient to tragedy. You become resilient to bad things and resentment is to create boundaries and to honor those boundaries because it's actually honoring what you are capable of. When I read that, for me, it's like, it's really principled because you are mm. looking at yourself as capable and my capabilities are limited. So I need to just focus on this instead of like saying yes to every single project and then nothing gets done basically. And I mm -hmm. think that we need more of that in our movement. We need to teach not just the first gen, but the second mm -hmm. gen too, because... Right. Yeah, but the, I don't think that really answers the question though, because I understand what you're saying about like, you know, uh, not overextending yourself and honoring our commitments and, you know, honoring the capabilities that we can do, but it doesn't answer the fact that... Well, the, in, so, there's no there's no programs, there's no substantial, you know, in-reach and like, you know, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, specific to Cranes Club, I can tell you everybody has a full-time job and Cranes Club is like this side hustle that people are doing because they it resonates for them. They really want it to make an impact. They see the potential. But again, like we 
each each one of us has very limited time and we're, you know and and not just limited time but limited resources right so how do you get an organization that ha- that gets no funding to creating an income stream so that we could hire the the people who have the talent and the ability to kind of move the, the goalposts forward. You know, none of the members who subscribe to Cranes Club pay yet. It's all been like a free, free subscription to, you know, what we have to offer to our networking services, right? So how do you shift that yeah. to a value provided model where people are willing to pay like, okay, 50 bucks, a hundred bucks membership for the year. And then, and then we can, Oh, okay. Now we have income. We can hire somebody full time. Like up until now, it's all purely volunteer basis. Yeah. And I think, I think it's kind of a, there's a double standard there for the members. Cause I feel like, yeah, there's a lot of things that I want, but not a lot that I'm willing to pay for. <laughs> yeah, it's Definitely. it's an interesting it's an interesting dynamic, but it's I mean at the end of the day though, but it's these are all initiatives that are, are started by members though, right? Yeah. To to the point that Justin was saying, right? When you have a demographic that expects things for free, the way that we run in America then means that if you expect the product to be free, you become the product. And we're not willing to sell our members information or to like, we're not willing to operate in that way where we, where we take advantage of people, you know? So yeah, it's a tricky situation to to try to figure out and we're chugging along. We're trying to develop the ideas, but. Uh, It's kind of interesting because I've noticed that the MatchNet has become like a subscription based program now. And that's that kind of answers the question I had of why did it all of a sudden become that kind of program? But it's really for to better our programs by allowing us to have that income that to hire cap- more capable people to make the program better, right? So that, that, that was interesting. But I, I had a question, which is definitely not what we're talking about right now. But is, it, is this PR job like vastly different from other PR jobs, do you think, because of how we have a living messiah and how everything is changing around a lot constantly? No, it's not different to a PR <laughs> job in at any other company because Oh, okay. Yeah. Your your job is the same. Your job is to explain the company, explain the company's values in a simple way so that mm. people understand to, um, you know, take advantage of the events that you're doing and to kind of increase brand awareness, right? And you have to do all of that while juggling the expectations of the shareholders. I mean, in our case, the shareholders are true parents and international Mm -hmm. headquarters, right? It's not that different to a normal job. And I'm very blessed to work with an outside PR agency um, that we have contracted. And, you know, the ideas that we come up with are like, Sometimes we come up with the same idea at the same time to address certain situations. So yeah, I, I would say it's pretty much the same. Another question I had is, will our situation change in the future in terms of you know how right now we're in the figure everything out on the fly era and not being able to basically mm. what I've what I've been hearing is that most of like unless what your position is is like something you do like as a secondary, it's not very sustainable. Like uh, unless you have something else that it's not really for you, but do you think it will become to the point where you, you can become, you can have that as your primary income, as your primary job in the future? Or is that, is that like, yeah, 
I definitely think so. I think if I didn't believe that that's what we were working towards, then mm -hmm. I don't know why I would be working so hard for this, right? <laughs> I mean, and I think part of my job is to do market analysis, right? Who is our biggest competitor? And I would say for us, that's the Mormon church. Look <laughs> at the way the Mormons have done it. Yeah. I mean, granted, you know, mm, they have a hundred years on us, so they've been able to put down better roots and stuff, but they are deeply faithful people with the brand recognition of, Oh, Mormons. Mormons are all about family values. I mean, the prolific influence of Mormon mommy bloggers in the social media sphere is incredible. There have yeah. been like articles in the Atlantic what? about, yeah. oh yeah, it's a huge yeah. phenomenon. Um, I read this article in the Atlantic by this woman who she's an atheist and she was like, I'm obsessed with Mormon mommy blogs, you know, and, and when you think of the Mormons, you think of family values, but actually just like 40, 50 years ago, they were still perceived as a cult. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. and, and they still had the multiple like partners thing too. Right. Well, and, and even though that that has been marginalized for a long time from the mainstream mm -hmm. movement, they haven't practiced that in like, oh, and so, but that perception still lingered, right? And so my view is like, if they can do it, we can totally do it. We can turn our perception around and, you know, and they're, they're successful in all different spheres. They're successful mm -hmm. as a church. They're successful in business. Um, they're successful in philanthropy. You know, these are all the things that I think we can achieve too. Just just looking at their their model. Wow, that's interesting. Because yeah, there, there's so there's so many similarities between us and the Latter Day Saints. So uh, yeah, that's that's interesting. Thank you. Sure. Yeah, I feel like the perception of the Mormons is is changing still, even still. Because I remember when like just like 15 years ago or 10 years ago, hearing uh, people joke about Mormons being people who believe that the man, God, is a man on the moon. And I haven't heard something like that in the longest time. I've only heard things positively about Mormons, and I, I think it has to do with yeah, the Mormon families that have made a presence online. Definitely. Uh, and but even the church their church spends a lot of money on public relations. It's not necessarily obvious until you start mm -hmm. looking at it and doing the research and doing the, you know, um, really digging into it. But like in the, in the nineties, they paid for this huge ad campaign for commercials. Right. And it was like this little kid and they're like, grandpa, is it time yet? Grandpa, is it time? And you're like, what is this commercial about? Right. And then, and then it's like <laughs> family, isn't it time sponsored by the church of Jesus Christ and Latter-day Saints, you know, and you're wow. like, Oh my God, that's so heartwarming and sweet. And it's not <laughs> selling something. You're like, Oh, and it gives you the warm and fuzzies and like good commercials mm. get an emotional reaction. Right. And, and that, you know, slowly, slowly, little by little doing those mm -hmm. kind of things and investing in, in that really helped change public perception around them. So that's that's what I'm hoping to accomplish. Mm -hmm. So you're saying is we should get a family fed ad on the Super Bowl next year. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that would be. Or, well, actually, that would bankrupt uh, I'm going to tell you <laughs> my, um, my dream is to my dream is to, to work with a th third party production company to get a documentary on Netflix because Netflix oh. is on is available in 195 Ooh. countries Ooh. in the world. And there's something like there are only like 199 that exist, you know, so mm. if we can get on Netflix and share an unbiased story, right? 
I'm not talking about right. like a documentary that we make and we push our story and we tell everybody like that. Mm-hmm. I, I think we already try to do that, but like a work with somebody else to tell the whole story okay. and not just the salacious bits, you know, and not just playing up all the controversies and stuff, but, but look at the whole picture. That's like the dream for me. Yeah. I think, I think you might just have to hire people through a, a shell company. <laughs> well, <laughs> Cause it might be hard to find someone who'd be so passionate about that mm, and also not have any. Well, to- you'd be surprised. You'd Probably. be surprised. I'm uh, working on it. Those yeah, the I am working on it. Years together. <laughs> it looks like you're yes, working. Yes. On it. Um, this is a passion project mm, for me. Mm. And there are some, there are some really talented people out there outside of the movement and inside of the movement that I'm hoping to pull it all together. Yeah. We'll okay, see. Okay. We'll see what the future holds. <laughs> All right, time for a curveball. What do you think about sanctuary? It makes me really sad. Like honestly, okay, like legit. I, you know, I think because of my job, I think a lot about sanctuary. Um, okay. I think a lot about how we can work to embrace them, how we mm. can how we can heal that rift. I look at the ministry and I see a lot of anger and resentment. And I see that when you become focused on anger, that's kind of the embodiment mm. of what comes out. So I've had some pretty frustrating experiences where I told someone I'm a unificationist and they go, oh, the, the machine gun cult. And I'm like, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah. Let me explain. <laughs> yeah. They, they get so much more like publicity just because it's, what, what they're doing is so controversial. So it's and like, outrageous. Yeah, yeah. So like they, they garner so much attention from yeah. everybody. It's, but they've it's also been labeled. They've also been labeled as a hate group by watchdogs, you know? Oh, wow. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Uh, Amazon revoked their charity. So, you know, you know, Amazon smile program where right. a portion of your, a portion you can designate a charity to receive a portion of your purchases at like every time you make a purchase on Amazon and they registered themselves as a nonprofit and um, Amazon revoked them their status for, for receiving that because they were Interesting. acknowledged as a hate group by several organizations. You, you can't, you can't be a nonprofit and a hate group at the same time. <laughs> uh, you we're can. You we're can, a Ku Klux Klan for hope. <laughs> Donate today. But, uh, I mean, you you can be a nonprofit, but uh, other organizations Plans, are definitely against not gonna. <laughs> right, <laughs> like let's not touch that organization with a ten foot pole. You know, mm. nobody wants to work with them. Have you had to like distance us from Sanctuary Church? Is that is that been... absolutely? Um, I my part of my job is to monitor the media, so we have a service that we use to kind of comb online publications, social media. And anytime there's like an article that comes out that says like Sanctuary is the Unification Church, we immediately reach out to the editor and we're like, you need to correct that. That's not true. They do not represent the values of Reverend Moon and the, you know, the wider organization. Does it happen often or like only after they, they do their blessings? 
So the biggest, uh, the biggest amount of confusion in the public media that came out was right after they did that, their first gun blessing, I think, um, back in mm-hmm. 2018, I think it was, there was like all this, like people were like, oh my God, there was like a huge article in the Washington Post. So my job was to just, you know, make sure that people were reporting things factually and that they were representing correctly that they split from the Unification Church. They're not part of the Unification church. They don't represent true parents. They don't represent the values of unification and restoration, not in the way that true father always talks about. It's gotten less and less. The stories about them, the articles still pop up every now and again, especially whenever they, Mm. they do something. So like they were touring around in like a minivan to protest like all these politicians homes during the election during you know because they're they're huge trump supporters right they were there at the capitol riot causing them yeah oh wow yeah i just part of my job is to keep an eye on that and make sure that people know that we are not them give us a little rundown about like what happened with the recent lawsuit with uh h1 i'm not sure that that lawsuit has concluded yet Okay. So I don't know that I'm at liberty to talk too much about it. Yeah. Okay. We'll just edit it out. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> so from my understanding, and the legal team can correct me on this, <laughs> from my understanding, uh, H1 or Preston. So there was a there was an organization that two parents created called Unification Church International. And Unification Church International was the organization through which funding for the Unification Church was distributed so that America got a certain budget, Europe got a certain budget, Asia Minor gets a certain budget, you know, like they kind of distribute the funding. There was a hostile takeover of the board by Preston's people. And then they changed the articles of incorporation to be something completely different to what it actually originally was. It was to support the Unification Church. So they actually removed the referen- all of the references to Unification Church in the bylaws, basically. And then he created a Swiss corporation and started funneling money into this Swiss corporation to pay for his own projects. Disgusting. Yes. And then True Father basically said, that's not right. And you need to stop that. Like, put the people who were on the board back on the board. Yeah, right. Mm. And so actually, people have, because this lawsuit has been going on for so long, people actually forgot that True Father's direction was kind of why the whole lawsuit got started to begin with. It wasn't, you know, it's not like True Mother's coming after her son or something like that. True Father was like, this organization was created with a specific purpose, and now you've completely altered it. You need to restore that. You need to fix it, you know, put it back the way it Mm -hmm. was. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, and it's just been this, this, you know, ongoing battle to kind of get it it back, basically. Right, but I thought Dr. Young said something about about it in the morning devotion how they they won money or something is that is that not true i have not heard about that so i don't know um actually well let me just say that because my time is limited and i have four children 
And when daycare shuts down, mommy has to take off work. <laughs> mm. um, I can't always tune into all of the dev- morning mm. devotions. Mm. I can't tune into every single meeting. Mm. So yeah, anyway, I personally haven't heard that. He might've said something about it and I just haven't been updated yet. So um Okay. I have, a, I have a, a question that I, I doubt can be answered, but I was um, I was just wondering, is has there ever been something that you've been asked to make disappear or cover up, like some sort of a scandal or something like that, that you were asked to like, <laughs> make this look good or make this not happen? Not quite in those terms. There's There's never been anything that I've done that has contradicted my morals or anything like that. I've never like, I've never been asked to like fix a problem that, um, Mm. that I didn't see could, could have a damaging effect on our movement or a damaging effect on our members because it's not correctly being represented or it could easily be misconstrued. So I've never had to like make something go away, quote unquote, you know, but. Did you ever have to like throw out a cease and desist anywhere? Anytime. Not me personally, but you know, like Sanctuary has been using the tonial symbol like all over the place. Like they have oh, it right. engraved right. on their right. guns and stuff, you know. So yeah, we sent them several season to season desists. I had heard heard a rumor that there was a thing that happened on the East Coast during Damien's presidency, and he sh- personally showed up to settle it down and well, the controversy. Okay, that's yeah. uh, well. And if that happened, I had never heard of that. Yeah. It's not really a rumor, but I just don't want to give the specifics because the person didn't give me the liberty to express it. But uh, okay. he was he was basically saying, like, you know, I understand protecting the church's appearance as a whole because I love the church. I don't want to see it burn for one person's actions or a small group of people doing something. But at what point does the does making the church look good compromise us as a community? You know, like kind of mm. like when in like weird Japanese areas where it's like some someone's son commits suicide and then the family pretends they just never had a son because they don't they want to distance themselves from that dishonor kind of a thing and it's like at one point in the church do people just get to get away with things because it's it's too ugly to to show and to then take responsibility for I mean, first of all, I think that from my personal experience working at headquarters, I know a lot of people, a lot of members like to believe that there is this conspiracy theory that, oh, the leaders are like, oh, they're embezzling money or they're doing something on the shady, you know, and and, oh, actually their motivations are not true. They're doing this other stuff. And from what I have, I have never observed anybody who even has the time to think up the scheme for that kind of thing, you know? let alone like actually doing something shady on the side. But I get it, you know, whenever there's an institution, an organization, it's really easy to cast judgment and blame on something that's far away. But when you get to know the people and you're like, oh, actually they're like, you know, pretty Mm. good people. They're like doing good things. So I was saying like, uh, do you feel like us covering things up that would damage the church's perception, you know, as a community, do you feel like that could have a negative impact on us overall eventually because it would it could possibly create space for corruption? Yes. I think anytime you try to cover things up, it never works out to the benefit of the organization. You know, it's always better to acknowledge things and to apologize and then try to fix it, right? And move forward. 
But that being said, I do think we are an Asian-based culture. Our movement comes out of Korea. As much as Korea embodies some heavenly characteristic, it's also a very Napoleon complex country where they try to overcompensate and make themselves only look good and don't talk about bad things because it's shameful, right? And which is why I love Brene Brown, because she's all about vulnerability and accountability and honesty, Mm -hmm. right? And I think that it's not to say that only the way Asian culture does it is, again, it's like unbalanced. That's like one of the core principles of my life is like Western culture has a lot that we have to learn from. Eastern culture has a lot. So how do we practice both? instead of, you know, just focusing on one. And I think that learning to be honest and learning to be upfront, that's a very Western virtue. It's a Western culture, cultural thing. So how do we learn to implement that as an organization? Because even Brene Brown will say that the most successful organizations that exhibit the most amount of creativity create an open dialogue amongst their employees where you can talk honestly and where leaders can be vulnerable, where leaders are open to feedback and criticism and that they can Mm -hmm. handle those things. So I think it's imperative for us as an organization to move in that direction if we want to survive in the future. So something that has been terrifying me as a young unificationist is the impact that I saw on the church when True Father died, right? There was a, sh- a splintering of members, and there's there's a few small groups now, members who no longer follow True Mother. There was lots of conflict, people talking back and forth of whether they wanted to acknowledge True Mother. And I remember hearing my father talk to so many people about the importance of True Mother being the only begotten daughter and what that means and whether True Mother, you know, is the Messiah or, True Mo- or the Messiah's spouse and blah, 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 blah. And I feel like we finally came to some sort of conclusion, but that's, I feel like, only in in part because we have True Mother to guide us this whole time. And I feel like our movement is so heavily based on True Mother's leadership. What's going to happen to us when True Mother dies? Because I felt like a lot of members kind of believe that True Father would just live eternally because he's True Father. And it's like, it's just never going to... And so it's like, there seemed to kind of be no plan to catch us when True Father passes. And I feel like my fear is, is, is there a plan for the church after True Mother dies? I think anytime there is a huge and sudden change, there is always going to be like a reckoning for each person individually that you have to kind of come to terms with. I do know from attending some of the leaders meetings um, in Korea and things that it's very much on True Mother's mind that she is thinking about planning for the future. So it's my understanding that she is raising up a couple of the true grandchildren. She's even said like, my kids aren't ready to handle this kind of responsibility. And so I'm counting on my grandchildren to step up and to to become the leaders for the future mm-hmm. of our movement. I thought she also I, explicitly named like uh, inheritors or whatever. I believe so. I mean, I wouldn't say that she named inheritors. I wouldn't say that she she guaranteed them the movement. You know, oh, yeah, yeah, that's for what sure, got us sure. into this whole situation right now, right? With Preston yeah, yeah, yeah. and Sean and Sanctuary and all that. But she's definitely investing in the education of, I believe, Hyojinim and Yonanim's son and daughter, mm-hmm. I believe. 
Mm -hmm. Um, I I could be wrong on that. I I need to check, but she's investing in their future to raise them up as, as leaders for the movement, you know, to take over and to, to carry things forward. So it's going to turn into kind of like a royalty system. I wouldn't say royalty, but you know, lineage is an important part of our faith, right? We definitely, we definitely believe in, in lineage, but we also believe in personal responsibility and those true grandchildren, whoever they are, they still have a responsibility to become mature enough to handle that responsibility too. Um, mm-hmm. I think just because they are the grandkids does not automatically qualify them because again, that's where the whole source of the rift right now is, right? Okay. So there's some, there is a plan. It's just not finished yet. Yeah. And, and you know, plans <laughs> will shift too as things develop and things evolve. And, you know, I honestly wouldn't be surprised if Damien ends up being, you know, working in international headquarters to support those grandkids or so. who knows, who knows, right? Well, is there anything that you uh, want to plug or shout out? We'd love to do that for you. If you, if people want to follow you on Instagram, for example, or whatever, but if you, you don't, you can, you can, yeah, you can. <laughs> Yeah, I guess if people want to follow me on Instagram, my handle is at gadgetgirl, G-D-G-T-G-I-R-L. I don't really share a lot about my job on my personal mm-hmm. accounts mm-hmm. and stuff. But I will say, if there's any listener out there who is like worried about something that's related to PR and marketing um, about our church, or if you're a second gen and you're interested in getting some internship experience in media, we Mm -hmm. do have internships available where we train people up. I mean, my colleague Koichi, he worked at NBC for a number of years before he joined the church. I was working for the state department. There are those of us who bring professional experience and we we Mm -hmm. do things, we pride ourselves and do things with a certain level of professionalism. So, you know, you're interested or you have concerns, please feel free to contact me. You can reach out to me at press at familyfed.org. Amazing. Well, thank you for being on the show. We really nice. appreciate you sharing your time with us, Nancy. No, I think no, thanks for having me. I was, I was really excited to talk with you guys. Like, I think I, I mentioned to Toya once that a podcast has been like my, yeah yeah <laughs> I, I've, I've always wanted, if from the time I first joined headquarters, even as a contractor, I was like, we should do a, an open table podcast where we invite different people to talk. <laughs> It'll be awesome. You know, <laughs> you just nice. beat me to the punchline. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, we hope you can uh, come on as another guest then in the future and, you know, contribute into a different topic or whatever. But yeah, thank you again. Sure. Thank you again for having us, Nancy. Thank you. Yeah, thanks so much. All right. Jothan. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Luna Stream. Always links in the description to everything. And... Thanks so much for listening. We really appreciate it. Hope you enjoyed this episode with Nancy Jubb. If you guys like what you've heard, don't forget to interact with us on our Discord, which is linked below, or our Instagram. Feel free to leave comments, criticisms, or just drop in and say hello. And we have a new Facebook page that we put up that we're also posting content to, so don't forget to catch any new updates or uh, videos there as well. (laughs) And if you want to hear a particular person on the show, we gladly welcome any uh, suggestions and inputs by our audience, so don't be shy. Uh, Come and say hi. You can contact us via email through lunastreampodcast at gmail.com. Lunastream is available on all the major platforms. You'll find podcasts like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Anchor FM, Google Podcasts, and much more. So don't forget to tune into the newest episodes. So give us a follow, share it with your friends, and we hope to see you next episode. Adieu.